Resurrection Sunday is the celebration of Jesus rising from the tomb. He was buried on a Friday and he rose on a Sunday. I've got some photos here. Danielle and I went to Jerusalem uh, a number of years ago, and we visited some of the places, some of the, it's amazing, some of the places where history happened, where the Bible happened. So we've got a couple of photos. Hopefully we can put the first one up. Uh, we, there's, a, there's, a few, there's a few places in Jerusalem that, that they believe that Jesus may have been buried. This is one of the later additions, and I'm not sure if it was or not, but it, it's kind of, it, it's, it's very similar to what it would be. Obviously, the stone has come later, but this is the kind of place that Jesus was buried, except in front of it, there would have been a huge big stone that would have taken a couple of men to push, okay, to roll. And so this stone would have been in a groove across the front of it. So, so the next photo, if you can. So we went there. This is called the garden tomb. Someone's put the door on. I love it. He's not here. He has risen. And uh, there were Christians from around the world were just singing worship in the, in the garden tomb, one of the, one of the possible places where Jesus was, was buried. And then the last one had my beautiful wife, I think, in front of the tomb. So you could sort of bend over and go into that tomb and, and uh, reflect uh, on what had happened, whether it was in that place or not, is not the pivotal part, or what had happened. Thank you. You can take those down. Uh, Good Friday, which we've just celebrated, is, the, is a pivotal sort of moment in Christianity and the world history. On Good Friday, Jesus, for hundreds of years, like thousands of years, was prophesied that God's Son was going to come, the, the Messiah would come, and would pay for the price of the sin of God's people. And so on Good Friday, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born, we celebrate Christmas, died on a cross. He died a, a horrible death. He was crucified. Uh, he was treated like a criminal. Uh, the Jewish people were jealous of him, and they, they sent him to the cross. And it was, it was something that although they sent him, he went. He went to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. It was part of God's plan, the, the Bible tells us, to put all of our sin on Jesus at that cross, that he would bear the price for our sin. On Friday, I shared a story uh, that really, if you like, uh, captures what Jesus did, and it's a story about venom and snakes. Uh, Australia is home for two, two, two of the three most venomous snakes in the world. Most, I got a few snake pictures from Sam Sampson afterwards, which is fantastic. Uh, uh, any snake lovers in the house here tonight? Any, any at all? One, we've, got, we've got one. Excellent. Excellent. All right. This is for you. So here's the thing, when you get bitten by one of the most poisonous snakes, you've got minutes to get to receive the anti-venom into your blood, uh, or you'll die. Because that, that snake is so, the, these are the most poisonous ones, you'll die. So the, the, the anti-venom will fight the, the venom, and it will defeat it, and you can live if you get the anti-venom in, in time. One of the most common ways of getting the anti-venom is to actually take the, the, the venom from the snake, and then what they do is they inject it into a sheep or preferably a lamb, and the lamb has the antibodies within, it, within its blood system to fight the venom of the snake, to overwhelm the venom of the snake, and then for it to live on. And so then what they do is they extract the blood of that lamb that's overcome the venom of the snake, and that is now the anti-venom. And it's a wonderful picture of the Christian faith in that this is what the, the, uh, the snake representing the devil, 
The venom is sin. Sin is every person who's ever been born has been bitten by sin. We're born with a predisposition to sin. It's a genetic disorder. And so it's like a poison in our system that if we don't deal with it, it destroys us emotionally and mentally over a period of time. And so Jesus, when he went to the cross, in essence, took, he took the, the, the poison of the snake, the venom of, of sin into his body, and he paid a price for it so that you and I could receive forgiveness of sin. We could receive the anti-venom if we put our faith in Jesus. If we put our faith in Jesus. Sin can be defeated in us on two fronts. We can be forgiven of everything we've ever done, all of the guilt we carry, all of the shame we carry, anything you're going to do in the future. And when you get to heaven, there's going to be a video of your life and you'll be accountable for the video of your life, your words, your actions, your deeds. And here's the good news. When you receive Jesus' forgiveness, there'll be, a, there'll be like a, a, a blood red screen when it comes to the sin moments. Now, some of you are going to have a lot more red than others. You know it, Teresa. You know it, right? There's going to be a whole lot. Whoa, that scene's deleted. Oh, that scene's deleted. That, that's the blood of Jesus. You, know, you won't have to pay for your sin. He paid for your sin. But at the same time, the power of sin, the force of sin within us that controls us gets broken when we give our life to Christ. And so someone who just could not stop a certain kind of behavior and tried everything in your own strength couldn't stop it because it's the spiritual force of sin. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he broke the force of sin. And once you believe in him, he breaks that thing in your life. It no longer controls you. That's the good news. That's Good Friday. Now, Good Friday is awesome. But without Resurrection Sunday, it it's, would only be a good story. We would only think if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would go, well, he was a wonderful martyr with lofty ideals. We would, we would reflect on his teaching and we'd either say he was, well, either he was deceived because he said he's the son of God, that he would rise from the dead. He's either de- deceived or he's a deceiver. The Resurrection Sunday is God's stamp on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that He did die for the sin of the world, that He did pay for the price for your sin and my sin, and that He has broken the curse of sin. That's what, so when Jesus rose on Resurrection Sunday, it's God putting a massive exclamation mark saying, this is my son, he's defeated sin, he's overcome death, and he's risen from the dead. No one's ever done it before that moment. And so we, we celebrate the fact that God signed off on the divinity of Jesus. He signed off on the power of the cross. And all of the four gospel writers, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all recapture the story of the resurrection. I would really encourage you to, to read it, to download a version of the Bible or to get your Bible out and to read the stories of the resurrection of Jesus. There's one at the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew 28, the last chapter of Mark, Mark 16, the last two chapters of John, of John is John 20 and John 21, and Luke 24. Each of these guys give a different picture of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's fascinating reading, and they all cover off on different stuff. Matthew, in Matthew 28, says this, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, so Jesus was crucified on a Friday, 
And what they did, because the Sabbath was coming, a significant Sabbath, the Passover was coming, Jews, the, the, the Sabbath started at sundown on a Friday night and would go through to sundown on a Saturday night. That was the period where they could do no work, but this was a particularly special one. It was the Passover Sabbath where they were re- remembering the escape out of, out of Egypt. And so because Jesus died quite quickly on the cross, they took him down and said, let's bury him quickly before the Sabbath comes and we can't do any more work. So they wrapped him up in in a cloth and they put him in this tomb and he was supposed to be thrown in with criminals. But as was the case, often Romans wouldn't necessarily even bury the criminals. They just leave them there for vultures on the cross. But they pulled Jesus down and a a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph, asked could he bury Jesus in his tomb. It was a rich tomb. And so he buried him, and, and they didn't have enough time between his, them burying him and the Sabbath starting to, to put all the embalming spices and, and things on him. So they left him. They went back to their home, and for 24 hours, all of Jesus' disciples and followers would have been absolutely crushed. They wouldn't have been celebrating the Sabbath, but they would have been following the rules of the Sabbath to not work. And with this horrific feeling, knowing that in the morning that they would get up and there were some women, we're going to talk about them in a moment, in the morning they would get up and they would go to the tomb and they didn't think it through because this is what grief does. Grief blinds you from thinking things through. They didn't really think, how are we going to get into the tomb which has been sealed off with this massive stone that, that multiple men need to open and then there's guards guarding it because they've heard Jesus say that he might rise from the dead. So the Jewish priests wanted to get guards outside so that they couldn't pretend something had happened. And so they wake up early, on the mo- early in the morning and they get these spices and they run. So here we are, after the Sabbath, at, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. I can't wait to see angels one day. That's going to be so cool. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. This is the resurrection. Roll back the tomb. Roll back the stone. Jesus was raised from the dead. And so Mary Magdalene gets there. Now Mary, Mary's one of at least six Marys in the New Testament. There's a lot of Marys. It's quite confusing when you read. You're like, because there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, Right? There's Mary, Jesus' sister-in-law, so uh, probably Joseph's sister or Joseph's, uh, Joseph's brother's wife. So this is like Jesus' auntie Mary. You've got Mary, as in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, friends of Jesus. You've got Mary, James's mother, one of the disciples, who's also at the cross. You've got Mary, who wiped Jesus' feet uh, with her hair, Mary the prostitute. So uh, Mary was the most common name that there was going around for Jewish women. Uh, I was saying this morning, it's a bit like Dan in our church. We have Pastor Dan, Danielle, but we call her, I call her Dan. That's like, then we've got uh, Big Dan over here, Dan Bowman, who likes to be referred to as Big Dan or Handsome Dan. I'm not sure what we're going with. We've got a Dan in, in Melbourne. We've got two Dans in Melbourne. We've got a new Dan in Melbourne whose last name's Dan Best. So he thinks he's the best Dan. Uh, we've also got uh, a youth Dan somewhere. As he Where's youth Dan? He's in junior high. He's doing something somewhere. He's the Easter Bunny or something. Anyway, we've got there's, everywhere you look, there's dance. Uh, in my boot camp, I've got lots of dance. I have this thing where I put people's name in my phone um, just as an association. 
So one of the Dans has married a French girl from Champagne. So he's Champagne Dan. Then another Dan uh, who now comes to this church, but when I first met him, he told me this hectic story about catching malaria and almost uh, dying. So in my phone, he's Malaria Dan. It's just, it's just how you, just to know, remember, I don't, know, I don't know if that's good or bad. If you're a teacher, you'll be aware that, there's, that, that, that there are some, some names that you get over and over. So I read about this after-school teacher who has 19 kids, but five of them with only five names. She's got seven Liams. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine seven Liams? Oh my gosh. A number of them have got the same middle name, five Noahs. So it's just like you go, hey, Liam. And they're like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. So names, they're everywhere. I love it. So there's Mary's everywhere. Well, Mary Magdalene, I, I, I love this about Mary. We, we don't know much about Mary, but, but here's... His, Here's what we do know. Jesus was a revolutionary. In Jesus' time, uh, the, the culture of the day was very discriminatory against women, like a lot of cultures still today, in the Eastern world particularly. And so the culture of the day, a woman couldn't give testimony in court, uh, couldn't participate in a full church service in the synagogue, uh, couldn't touch the Scripture, uh, couldn't go into the temple to worship like others, just to the outer court. So in the culture of the day, uh, teachers didn't have female disciples. It just wasn't done. So Jesus comes along, and he, and he uh, like, honestly, the men didn't actually talk to the women that much. It was culturally just wasn't done. It was chauvinistic. And Jesus comes along, and he starts talking to the ladies in a, in a good way, obviously. And he, and he starts... Uh, seeing them as equal. And he, tells, and he tells them that you're equal before God in your value. And he has a, a traveling group of, of women who have, been, uh, who have been impacted by his ministry who are actually wealthy women. And then there are others who have come from a really hectic background and they're traveling with him. And Mary Magdalene is one of them. She's called Mary Magdalene because she comes from Magdala. And that's, that's a little town, uh, which we've been to. It's just on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. All we know about Mary is that it says, this Mary Magdalene was with him. He, she's the one who Jesus cast seven demons out of. That's what we know about Mary Magdalene, seven demons. The only other person you read about in the New Testament that had multiple demons cast out of them was a guy who had all of, like a legion of demons cast into, a, into a, a herd of pigs that ran off the side of the hill and Jesus got kicked out of the town. So we don't know, we don't know if she's single, we don't know if she's married, we just know that she once had some significant issues like, that will make not sleeping well look very serious. Okay, she, she's, she was tormented She's probably sick. She's probably uh, unable to socialize. There would be so many issues that were going on in her world. And Jesus, in his power and his love, crossed the boundaries and prayed for her and cast demons out of her, and she got set free. That's the Jesus we worship. And so what I love about Jesus is it's this woman who becomes the first witness to the resurrection 
This is, this is the one. She's the first one. She, she, she goes there. She walks in. An angel says, uh, don't look for Jesus there. He's not there. He's alive. Go tell Peter and, and John. So he goes and tells them. They run down. They see she's not there. At this point, she's thinking someone's stolen Jesus' body. She's not thinking that he's alive. And so then the Bible tells us she turns around and she sees the gardener. What she thinks is the gardener. But it's actually Jesus in his resurrected body. And so often we miss Jesus when he's coming to us in multiple different ways. He often comes to us through people. He often comes to us through songs. He often comes to us through signs. He often comes to us through preaching. He often comes to us. And so often we miss it. And, and so she, she sees the gardener and says, Sir, if you've stolen his body, can you give it back? And then he says, her name, Mary. And she says, teacher, she, her eyes are open and she realized this is the resurrected Jesus. He must have looked different. He's resurrected. All, all of those who are followers of Jesus, one day you're going to get a resurrected body. You're gonna, it, it, the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, just as when Jesus' dead body was resurrected and it was changed into an eternal body, which, get this, super cool, still eats. All right, because he ate fish with them. So uh, uh, who's happy that we're going to eat when we get to heaven? That's, that's good news. Come on, foodies. That's good news. Still eats, but can walk through walls. Oh, so cool. And teleport. It's like all of the things that, you know, when you play that game, what, what sort of super, superhero status would you like? It's all wrapped up in your eternal body. You can teleport. You can walk through walls. You can eat whatever you want. No calories. It's going to be magnificent. His resurrected body. So Jesus says, you, you can't cling on to me, Mary. She's like, so she's distraught. But then in a moment, she's like, her brain's trying to work out what's going on. He's alive. He's alive. I can't believe it. And I love that God chose Mary to be the first one. So, someone who couldn't be a witness in court is now the first witness of Jesus. I love that about God. I love, I love how God just kind of goes, you know what? I'm not worried about the in crowd or the out crowd. I'm not worried about the trendy or the not trendy. I'm not worried about the popular or the not popular. I'm not worried about the people who've got it all together or they don't have it all together. He's like, if you will come after me, I will go after you. And he gives Mary the privilege of being the first. And the thing that I just get from that, and this is, this is just the main thing I want to share tonight, is that it doesn't matter how messy your life is, Jesus loves your mess. He, he loves you in your mess. It doesn't matter if on the outside you're presenting like you've got it all together, but on the inside, there's a lot of pain that you're not telling about. Jesus, he loves you just the way you are. He'll surprise you with his love and he'll surprise you with his goodness. This is what he does with Mary. He surprises her and he does it time. And then all the, the disciples who deserted him, he just kept going after them too. Thomas, who didn't even believe that he was risen from the dead, he went after him. In fact, the disciples were so disappointed and so discouraged that they'd bailed on Jesus. They were locked in a room. They were supposed to go to Galilee to meet him when he rose from the dead, but they were locked in a room and Jesus came in because they didn't even believe Mary when she said he's risen. And Jesus came and he just, he met with them, he ate with them, he loved on them. He kept doing it, he kept doing it. 
So I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know how much pain's in your heart. I don't know how much mess is in your life. I don't know what's going on up until tonight. But someone here tonight needs to know that just the way you are, He loves you. And if you let Him in, then you'll get, you, things will just begin to change in a moment. I want us to close our eyes right now. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. Your presence is here. Your love, the love of God is here. The power of God is here. We welcome you. Lord, I know there's people here tonight who privately face torment. There's someone here and anxiety is kind of crippling your life right now. I want you to know that Jesus, he'll take you in your mess. Some people think that they've got to get their, their stuff together, their life together to be accepted as a Christian. Kind of getting the idea that Christianity is about following a moral code. And so once I can follow the code, then I can become a Christian. But I want you to know that Christianity is about coming to Jesus with your stuff and just asking him to come into your life. Just the way you are. And if you do that, if you surrender to him, he forgives you. He cleanses you. He washes you clean. And he begins to go to work in the areas that have controlled and dominated you. He begins to set you free. So what I want to do tonight, I want to, while your eyes are closed, I want to give an invitation. The message of the resurrection is it doesn't matter how dark things are. With Jesus, things can turn around. Dead things can come back to life. Dead dreams can come back to life. You're like, my emotions are shot. They can come back to life. You're like, my, my mental state, it's shot. God can restore it back to life. You're like, I'm... I'm racked with guilt and shame. God can re remove that from you. He brings hope to you. So the invitation tonight is, if you want to begin a relationship with God and you don't have one, I want you just to know a couple of things. The first one is He loves you so much, just the way you are. He absolutely loves you. The second one is He wants to have a relationship with you. He's created you to be in a relationship with Him. A beautiful, powerful, sacred relationship that's not just intellectual. It's from the heart. When you're in that relationship with Him, He fills you with His love, His peace. He guides you. He helps you. 
He blesses you. It's the most magnificent of relationships. In fact, the only thing that will ultimately bring you peace and purpose in your life is that relationship with God. Everything else will flow out of that relationship. So if that's not right, if, you're not in, if you don't have that relationship with God that you're created for, you'll feel an emptiness and a lack of purpose and a lack of peace. Even no matter what you try to do, it won't fill it. So I want you to know this tonight. God loves you and He wants to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. Receive Him into your life. So there's an invitation. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. The prayer is just surrendering to Him. The prayer is asking for His forgiveness. We're all going to pray this prayer in your seat. But I'm wondering if you're here tonight and you've never prayed a prayer like that, if you've never invited God into your life, to have a relationship with Him, and you're wanting to do that for the first time, I'd love you to pray that prayer with all of us. And if it is your first time, before we pray, before we pray together, I'm just going to ask you in a moment to, just to put your hand up and say, I want God to come into my life. It's kind of like this, this statement to God. You're saying, I want you to come into my life. I'm putting my hand up because I want to begin a relationship with you. Now, you might be here and there's been a point where you did begin a relationship with God and you did walk with Him and you believe that He's real, but you've drifted away. Maybe disappointment, discouragement, busyness, it doesn't matter what's taken you away. Tonight, I want you to come back to God and I want to invite you to pray this same prayer with us, surrendering your life to God. So if you're away from God and you want to come back to a relationship, in a moment when I ask for hands to go up, I want you to put your hand up and just say, that's me too. I want to get right with God again. I want, I want that joy back, that peace back that I once had by making Jesus number one. Doesn't matter whether you feel worthy of it or not. Doesn't matter if you feel like you deserve it or not. You don't deserve it. It's the goodness of God. None of us deserve it. It's the grace of God. Or maybe you're just here tonight and you're not sure when you die whether you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And you're not confident about that. I'd love to pray with you. I want to include you in this prayer. Because when Jesus comes into your life, when you invite Him in, He brings a peace about eternity that puts confidence in your heart. And so I'd love you to have a confidence. I'd love you to leave tonight with this great weight off your shoulders about eternity and a relief in your heart that you know that you know you're going to spend eternity with God. If you don't have that, when I ask, I want you to put your hand up as well. So right across the room, while, while we've got our eyes closed and while heads are bowed, you're saying, John, I want to begin a relationship with God or I want to come back to God because I'm away from Him. I've drifted. Or I want to be sure I'm going to heaven right now. Would you just put your hand up and say, that's me. I want to get right with God wherever you are. Just say, that's me. Thanks, mate. I see your hand. That's awesome. You can put it down. Thank you. I see your hand as well. That's awesome. Who else right now? Just raise your hand up real high. Thanks, buddy. I see your hand. That's awesome. Who else right now? Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. So good. So good. Who else right now? You're saying, that's me as well. I want to, I want 
to begin a relationship with God. I want to get right with God. Just put your hand up right now. Awesome. I see your hand over there. I see your hand as well. Thank you. Right in the back. That's awesome. Who else right now? That's, that's about six people or so right now who have already raised their hand to say, I want either to begin a relationship with God or to come back to Him or to be sure I'm going to heaven. I'm wondering if there's one or two more people. You're saying, that's me as well. I want to get right with God today. Don't, don't put it off for another day. Don't leave it until, until it, everything lines up. I'm telling you, everything's lining up right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. You'll, you'll feel a stirring in your heart. I can feel it right now. You'll feel a stirring in your heart to get right with God. And you're like, do I have to understand everything? Do I have to intellectually fully understand everything? No, you don't, because Christianity is a heart relationship. It's a relationship from your heart with God. And so it's just simply a step of faith towards God, and He'll respond towards you. And you'll begin a relationship that will change everything. So I'm going to wait for, for one more person who you know you need to put your hand up. You know you need to get right with God tonight. Would you do that right now? If you haven't put your hand up yet, just put it up and say, that's me as well. I want to connect with God. I want to get right with God. I'd love to include you in this prayer. Love to include you right now. Wonderful, wonderful. Awesome, awesome. So everybody who's put, who put your hand up so far, can you just put your hand up again one more time so I, can, I know you put it up. Thank you. Over here, this young fellow here, down the back. Those guys, awesome, fantastic. All right, we're going to pray together, everybody. And those of you who raised your hand, I want you to pray with us. Say these words after me. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, for my sin. I'm sorry. I've lived my way, and I'm turning to you tonight to live your way. Forgive me of my sin. I renounce the devil and all his works. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the power of God. I thank you tonight that I am forgiven, that I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys who put your hand up. That's magnificent. Thank you. So proud of you. So proud of every one of you. What I'd love you to do, if you can, if you're on the coast, I want you to keep coming to church. We want to help you follow Jesus. If you're not on the coast, find a church nearby you or you can watch online our services every week. But we want to help you have a relationship with God that is a game changer. And you need other people. You don't do this alone. You need other people as part of this journey. Also, uh, we have a course called Alpha coming up. I think, Pastor Josh, you're going to tell everybody about that. So God bless you guys. Happy Easter. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor John.